We're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we're looking at um, one of the uh, difficult experiences of the early church, uh, which promises us that as we continue the work of the kingdom of God in this world, there will be difficult times for us as well. This is the story of Stephen. Uh, Last week, we looked at Stephen a bit as he was one of those seven men called to the office of deacon to serve at tables, to serve the uh, widows who were in need. And um, today we see just one chapter later uh, what happens with Stephen. I'm going to read the very beginning of chapter 8, which precedes the the part that we're looking at today, uh, just to give you some some background. Uh, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit, the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they say that his face glowed, was like the face of an angel." Then Stephen starts his sermon, which is the whole of chapter 7, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. And through the sermon, Stephen goes through the, telling the story of Abraham, telling the story of Moses, telling before that the story of Jacob, telling the story of Joseph, telling the story of the people of God and how the assumptions that were being made by the leadership that was out to uh, discredit him were wrong. The assumptions that um, God never speaks to people, God never changes how people are to respond, the, the assumptions that the temple was the only place in which God dwelt. And he went on to explain to them that God was at work through their history, and if people weren't willing to hear the voice of God, they ended up missing it. And then, in our passage, he points out to them that they have missed the latest and greatest work of God, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, as we've said, the early church gives us some some hints as to how the church is to behave in the world today. Now, a difference being that the early church was in a society that didn't didn't understand what the gospel was about, Um, speaking first to the Jewish people who had their laws and understanding, and the Messiah was the culmination of those laws, the the fulfillment of those laws. But if they held on too tightly to what had gone before, what they had um, understood things to be, then they lost, they missed this good news of Jesus Christ. And the other part of society that surrounded them was, in a a sense, a godless society living by um, the morality of the day that was not a godly morality. And we live also in a society that is increasingly um, godless, and the morality is increasingly not what God would call us to be and do. But notice how Stephen addresses this. And it's the same as how Jesus addressed this. When Jesus spoke to the crowds, he spoke of God's mercy and God's love and of God's kingdom and the values of God's kingdom, the grace, the love, the ultimate justice. When Jesus spoke to the church people, the the rulers in the synagogue, he would get a little edgy, telling them that they were missing the point. It's the same here with Stephen. He doesn't, he's not going out into the world and saying, you're all wrong, you're all immoral, you're all terrible. He's saying to the leaders with, who were the ones who were to be connected with God, you're getting it wrong. You're holding on to, to, to tradition that has been usurped by Jesus Christ. You're covering your ears. You're refusing to listen. And what do they do? They cover their ears and refuse to listen. Stephen understood, and of course Jesus understood, that to introduce the kingdom of God to people, we don't do it through legislation. We don't do it through yelling at them. We don't do it through judging them. To introduce the kingdom of God to people, we, judge, we introduce them to their hearts. We let them know what this kingdom of God is about. And we pray that they will receive the glory and wonder of this kingdom. And we save our criticism for ourselves. And if we really are honest, 
there might be a lot to criticize. When do we plug our ears to the voice of God speaking to us? When do we stand and refuse to accept what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do? It is far easier to assume that the Christian life is a life that God uh, wants for me and he wants to bless me and he wants me to feel good and he wants me to, to just be very satisfied in myself because this is what God's love means for me. And yet, this is not the message that we see throughout Scripture. The message we see throughout Scripture is indeed God does wish to take our shame away. God does indeed wish to let us know how forgiven we are, how glorious it is to be in relationship with God. But God also calls us to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And we see in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, that it may be very costly. But notice, notice what Stephen experiences even as they're throwing those stones at him. And if you wonder how it worked, according to the research I've done, uh, they would have a hole in the ground, a a deep pit, and they would put the person in the pit and then throw the rocks down on the person because, you know, stoning wouldn't work if you could run away. Stephen couldn't run away. What a horrible way to die. It is not only painful, uh, unimaginably so, to have many rocks thrown, and it's never the first rock that does the job, but it's also so demoralizing that you see a crowd of people, a whole crowd of people who want to be in on your demise. And I can imagine that most of us today in that setting would be pretty angry, pretty hopeless, pretty discouraged. Not Stephen. Stephen was given a gift by God to be able to see through the veil into the throne room of God and see God sitting on the throne and Jesus standing next to it. Many commentators have spent many words trying to figure out why Jesus was standing and not sitting because the the scripture says he sat at the right hand of God, but here he is standing. And I think the best explanation I've run across is he's standing because he knows he's going to be welcoming his brother into the throne room of God. He's standing to say, I know you're going to be here and we're ready for you. And Stephen, as he dies, maintains that glow on his face, that glow that says, there is something different about me. There is a a movement of the Holy Spirit in me that, that others don't have. And as he is being killed, he repeats very closely the words of Jesus when he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus, into your hands, I trust, I entrust my spirit. Just like Jesus said to the Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit and forgive them for they do not know what they do. What would it take for me 
What would it take for you to be at a place in your, in my, in your walk with God that we could endure something like that the way Stephen endured it? It's overwhelming to think of. But he's not the only one. Throughout the history of the church, people have died to witness to the work of Jesus Christ. People have been willing to give up this earthly life in order to enter that life that God has prepared for them. And in so doing, they have furthered the message of the gospel. The um, early church father, I believe it was Tertullian, said the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church grows because of these people who are willing to sacrifice. Stephen, after he died, it says here in the beginning of chapter 8 that the people left, all except the apostles because of the persecution that arose. The people dispersed and in so doing fulfilled Jesus' words to them in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the other other parts of the earth. The, The message is going out because of what Stephen was willing to do. And yet, again, I've said this earlier, but how many... Believers today, and I have to most days include myself in this, want all the benefits that God has earned for us in Christ, all the forgiveness, all the peace, without the responsibility of the kingdom of God. This is not easy, folks. And how did How did he do it? How did Stephen do it? He did it because his relationship with God was so strong. His his experience of the Holy Spirit was so strong. His conviction of eternal life was so strong that it shadowed everything else. It put everything else into what is truly the proper perspective that God's reign is paramount. And the glory that will be revealed in us, in that reign of God, is so great that we should be willing to sacrifice anything for it. But we don't live in a world like that, do we? It wasn't all that long ago. Well, within, well, not necessarily within my lifetime, but just a few years before, The JFK said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. How many people vote like that now? How many people think like that now? So much of our sense of self in our our current world is very much about self, very much about what do I want and how can other people fulfill my needs. This is the opposite, folks, of how Jesus dealt with humanity. This is the opposite of how Stephen dealt with the message of the gospel. Ask what you can do for the kingdom of God, 
not what the kingdom of God can do for you. But, of course, we know that the kingdom of God has done magnificent things for us. It's not that we don't say that God is great because God has removed our shame, that God has, has welcomed us. This is glorious. This is wonderful. But it should motivate us to a higher calling, a, a deeper commitment to what God has for us and through us for the world. This is not an easy message to preach because, as you know, or maybe you don't, a preacher has to preach the message to him or herself first. And I don't measure up. This is very challenging. But at the same time, a challenge can utterly discourage us or a challenge can motivate us. And my prayer for this challenge in this passage is that it motivate us. It motivate us, to, it motivate us to seek God more fully, more completely, to trust in the reign of God, the glory of God, more completely. Most of us aren't there now, right? But throughout the history of the church, people have gotten there. They have gotten to the point that they knew so strongly that God is good. They knew so surely that they are part of the kingdom of God, that they were willing to suffer, willing to die for it. Now, one caveat. Martyrdom in the church has always been, should always have been, sacrifice of self for the, for the word of God, sacrifice of self for others. Some call suicide bombings a martyrdom. This is not the same. That is sacrifice of self in order to hurt others. Christian martyrdom is never that. And this is one of the message I th messages I think is so important as we look at the early church. We are not people who are called to wag our finger at the world around us and tell them how bad they are, tell them all the things they've done wrong, tell them all the things they're doing wrong. We are called to embrace them in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And Pray that as the Holy Spirit works on them as they come to Christ, that they will see the error of some of their ways. Just as we see the error of some of our ways and pray that God will help us to see more and more. Before worship this morning, John Goodman came up to me and, and shared with me a quote from a song that he heard, and I think it's so important. It is, it, the quote is, the church... In the, in the song from Cochran and Company, Take Me Back, about people who have left the church and, and seek to come back. The church is not a trophy for the winners. It's a shelter for the sinners. Our faith is a humble faith. Our faith is one that says, I don't deserve this. 
So I don't wag my finger at other people. I don't tell them that they're the losers and I'm the winner because it is only, only, only by the grace of God that God has reached out to me, that God has reached out to you and drawn you to himself. But as those whose shame has been wiped away, as those whose guilt is gone, as those who have received this glorious message of acceptance within the kingdom of God, should we not be willing to sacrifice that others may experience this as well? I hope and I pray that none of us will have to do what Stephen did. But I hope and pray that if we did, we would. Let us pray. Gracious God, this message is hard to preach. It is hard to hear. It is hard to accept. For we know our own hearts and we know that we prefer the benefits of your kingdom to the challenges. but build in us such a strong sense of your goodness, of your grace, of the glory that will be ours, a strong sense of your kingdom eclipsing in our hearts the kingdom of this world that we would be willing to sacrifice. Maybe not yet to the point of Stephen, but at least something. For our home is not here. Our ultimate home is with you. Help us to orient our minds and our hearts around that eternal promise. Strengthen us for it. We humbly pray because we know that we are not strong enough in ourselves. And we thank you that through your word and through your Holy Spirit and through this sacrament, you do strengthen us. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit's presence, you would strengthen us at this table, that this bread would be for us the body of Christ, equipping us to be the body of Christ in this world, and this cup would be for us the blood of Christ, poured out for our salvation and poured into us, coursing through our veins that we might be given new life in him. We thank you for your grace. We humbly receive more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.